everybody, and welcome back to the show. The sound may sound a little funny because I am sitting in the middle of a rainstorm and I decided to leave the door open because there's nothing like the sound of a beautiful rainstorm. We are in Ball Harbor, Florida for our little baby moon, and we've had amazing weather up until today. Well, I still think rain is amazing. We've had a lot of sunshine, a lot of time at the beach, and now we're cozy in our room, enjoying the sound of rain. And I want you to get cozy and take in today's episode, even if you're not married. This really is a super helpful episode for you when it comes to looking at relationships. So whether you are married or you're in partnership or you want to be in partnership someday, I think the topic of fairness in relationship is a really important one. And oftentimes what causes the most arguments and tension and distance and consequently the endings of relationship is wanting to be right, wanting things to be fair. And so today's guest puts a whole different perspective on fairness in relationship. Before we dive in, just want to remind you that this is an episode of Coach's Corner. I air these every Saturday. This is when either I talk or I bring on someone I respect, an expert, someone that I think is going to offer you some incredible wisdom. And every Wednesday, I air a live coaching session that is unscripted, unproduced, and unedited, where you get to hear me coach a very brave, vulnerable, and beautiful person who is willing to share their their deepest thoughts, feelings, emotions on this show. And just want to thank, again, all the listeners, and especially all of you who have volunteered to be on the show. If you want to be a guest on the show and receive coaching from me, you can go to christinehassler.com slash waitlist and apply there. Also, our doors to the Elementum Coaching Institute, which is the institute I co-founded with my husband and friends and peers, Alexi Panos and Preston Smiles are open. This is the second round we're doing. We start in March, but early bird pricing is extended until the end of this year. So you can save $2,500 on enrollment if you apply and commit before the end of this year. Go to elementumcoachinginstitute.com. You can read all about it there. If you are a coach or want to be a coach and want to learn how to be a weapon of a coach and build your practice the way I did, which is just getting really, really good at what you do, then I highly suggest you come and join us. We built this program because we all had to piecemeal our training together and we wanted to create a one-stop shop for coaches to get the kind of training they need to really be able to serve anyone. So again, that's elementumcoachinginstitute.com. So let me tell you a little bit about Nate Klemp. He is half of the 8080 Marriage Partnership. His wife, Kaylee, wasn't able to join us. He's a writer, philosopher, and entrepreneur, along with his wife. He is the author of the newly released The 8080 Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Marriage. Ooh, it's really coming down. So what is the 8080 Marriage? Well, it pushes couples beyond the limited idea of fairness towards a new model grounded on radical generosity and shared success. One that calls for each partner to contribute 80% to build the strongest possible relationship. I think you're really going to get a lot of value from today's episode. Enjoy. I'm so excited to share with you that Organifi, one of our sponsors for the show, is launching one of my favorites. Well, they're relaunching one of my favorites just in time for the holidays, the gold chocolate. It's so good. It's the best hot chocolate drink you will ever have. So they're going to be relaunching it on October 19th and 20th. And you can go to Organifi.com slash over it and enter over it and order it before they launch to the public on 1021, right? So you can get special 20% off on the 19th and 20th. And it's one of those products that's so good. It may go out of stock. So if you want to try it, order on the 19th and 20th. If you're listening to the show after that date, no problem. Go to Organifi.com slash over it, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it. So again, it's limited time. It's a soothing blend of Ayurvedic herbs, medicinal mushrooms, and organic cacao. It's a holistic alternative to hot chocolate, which calms your nervous system, enhances your immune response, and supports deeper rest with a nourishing blend of self-care. And oh my goodness, gold chocolate is so good. It's one of my favorite. Mix it with almond or coconut milk, unsweetened almond or coconut milk, and it's just, it's just delicious. I can't wait until mine arrives. So again, everybody go to Organifi.com slash over it and use the code over it for 20% off. 
Nate, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you here. It is so great to be here, Christine. Mm. When I was going to say you, you're you're kind of half of the 80-80 marriage, which we're going to be talking about today, but I don't like ever calling somebody a half of a person. <laughs> so we'll just say your partner is, is not with us today. So no pressure, but you basically have to be as engaging as two people. I hope that doesn't put any pressure on you. No pressure at all. <laughs> I know you can handle it. Um, and I was thrilled to have you on the show today because I know the past year and a half has been really tough on relationships, whether people are married or partnered or whatever, and and really tough on people who want to be in relationship as well in terms of being able to date and, and get out there and, and all of that. But especially with more people being at home, um, maybe people having different views on certain situations that are happening in the world right now, and just going through a lot of change and a lot of stress, I've seen a lot of relationships get stronger, but I've seen even more kind of crumble and be stressed and fall apart. So this is your world. I'd love to just start off with what have you seen in the past year and a half in terms of some of the trends and challenges in marriage? Yeah, well, it's been really interesting over the last year and a half because Initially, I thought we were going to see this massive wave of divorces, mm -hmm. the COVID divorce wave. Right. And it's been really interesting because they've been doing some research on what's actually happening in relationships. And it's a little bit more complicated than that. So what the research is showing is that I guess the headline is you could say you get more of what you already had. Mm -hmm. So if you had a very strong relationship COVID may have actually made your relationship stronger because you're traveling less and you're around each other more and, you know, you have more time together. So it, it's made certain relationships better and stronger. But then if you had a relationship where you had a lot of conflict before, you had a lot of tensions before, it's probably made your relationship much more challenging. And many of those relationships have moved into the realm of either divorce or on the verge of divorce. So I think that's been really interesting. And then also, I was actually just on a dating podcast yesterday, and we were talking about another line of research saying that if you look at the dating world, there's been this real move toward serious, intimate relationships versus hookups. So I think like, you know, they did a study on Tinder and um, people looking for hookups dropped by 20%. People wow. looking for more serious relationships that, that went up. And I think it makes sense yeah. that in this very uncertain, crazy world, we're looking for stability. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for some certainty because there's been so much that's uncertain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree and have seen that in so many ways. It's this ever since March, 2020, anything you need to deal with is in your face, whether it's your relationship or um, maybe inner child stuff or maybe a health issue or whatever it is. The I think even though there's still so much distraction available, just pick up your phone. You can be distracted for hours. Mm -hmm. There have been some things that have been removed, like a lot of the escapism things, You know, whether it's traveling or just working all day or being able to leave your house or just the normal things that kind of make us not attend to what we need to attend to, a lot of those just aren't available anymore. So we are faced with, whoa, what's really in front of me and what is my life really like when I don't have all these different outlets? Yeah. And I think those moments where it's almost like the intensity and the pressure of life builds, they can either be moments where the system starts to break down or they can be opportunities. And so our hope is that we can use this moment where everything is kind of crazy and chaotic and uncertain actually as an opportunity to look at relationships or to look at even your own individual self-care. And I think that's a way of really starting to leverage this more skillfully than, you know, just sort of throwing up your hands and saying, oh, you know, my relationship is a mess. My right. life is a mess. You know, there's a lot we can actually do. Right. There's so much. And you, both you and your wife are like super smart. You've gone to amazing schools. You have a gazillion degrees. You've both written <laughs> 40 million books. <laughs> you can talk about <laughs> so many things. I'm so impressed with both of you. Little overachievers, I can tell. Um, one of the things that you're so passionate about is the 80-80 marriage. And so a lot today in, in this episode, we are going to be talking about marriage, but I think that that can apply to just relationship in general. A lot of people may choose not to get married, but I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
that the things we're going to be talking about are both good for people who want to get in relationship in terms of really learning some principles, but also good for people who are in partnership but may not be married. Is that correct? Absolutely. So the scope extends well beyond marriage to people who are just in a intimate relationship. We've actually been doing some talks and conversations at companies because we found that a lot of these principles apply to corporate teams or yeah. to friendships or extended family. So, yeah, I think the scope is is pretty large here, but we'll probably be focusing mostly on intimate relationships. Perfect. Yes. And well, I've heard so many people say my work wife or my work husband. So yeah, I definitely exactly. have those too. So let's yeah. just start with a basic question. What is the 80-80 marriage? Yeah. Well, really the 80-80 marriage is in some ways a reaction to what we see as the predominant mindset of marriage in our contemporary culture. And that is this idea that, hey, we want to be equals and we want to be in love. We're not our grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to achieve equality through this very clumsy technology of fairness and trying to make everything 50-50. So in other words, we're going to be equals by monitoring everything that everyone's doing, you know, when it comes to household contributions or, uh, you know, how much effort they're putting in or how much they love the other person. We're going to create like this elaborate mental spreadsheet where we tally up who's doing what and we try to keep things fair. And that's the way we're going to achieve equality. So this is a trap we fell into and we interviewed about 100 people for this book, found that most couples fall into this trap. And, and really what the 80-80 marriage is, is a radical alternative to this default mindset. And the basic idea is that instead of striving to just do your 50% and monitor your partner to make sure they do theirs, we're striving for something crazy and radical that makes really no sense, which is to contribute at 80% to the relationship. Um, and we can get into why that works and, and what that means, but but it's basically just a radical shift in our mindset and our default habits around how we approach relationships. Right. So it kind of takes the fair. Well, let me ask you this. How is looking for fairness detrimental to a relationship? Yeah. Well, so as I said, this was the way Kaylee and I fell into relationship with each other when we got married 15 years ago. Um and what we found is the more we tried to make everything perfectly fair, the more we fought and got into all sorts of conflicts. And when we interviewed people, we found that that was a pretty much universal pattern. And there are a couple of reasons, which I think are really interesting, that we discovered in our research for this book that come from the field of psychology. So the first reason has to do with what psychologists call availability bias, which is basically just a fancy way of saying that all of my wonderful contributions to my marriage and my relationship, all of those things are available to me. I have a complete insight into that data set. But when it comes to my wife, Kaylee, what she's doing, all of her wonderful contributions, it's actually a little fuzzy. Like I might see some of the stuff she does. I might see her unloading groceries or whatever, you know, taking our daughter to school, but there's a lot that I don't see. So there's this cognitive bias that leads us to systematically underestimate the contributions of our partner. And then on top of that, there's this other cognitive bias, which you might think of as the overestimation bias, where in studies of household work, both women and men, but especially men, tend to overestimate the amount of time they've spent on things like childcare and housework. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like if I spent if I say I spent an hour, an hour and a half doing the dishes, it's probably more like 30 minutes, right? We just, mm -hmm. we vastly overestimate what we do. So that's the condition of modern marriages. We're having these conversations about fairness, but we're totally deluded when it comes to what is or is not actually fair because of these cognitive biases. Mm -hmm. Why do you think fairness is so important to us in marriage? Why do you think we want that so bad? Yeah, well, I think it's actually a really good thing. And so, you know, it can sound like I'm just like, you know, really down on fairness. But I actually think the fact that we want fairness is the sign of radical change. You know, if you go back to the 1950s and in the book, we talk about the 80-20 model of marriage where 
one partner, generally the woman does 80%, mm-hmm. the man ends up doing more like 20. Th- there was no discussion of fairness in that model of marriage. Right. And, you know, fast forward 70 or so years, now there's pretty much universal consensus around this idea that we should be equals in marriage. And I think that's amazing. We should totally celebrate that. The question then becomes, okay, how can we be equals and in love in a way that's more skillful than just sort of, you know, keeping this mental tally of what is or, what is or isn't fair? And I think that's the central challenge we face um, you know, in modern marriages and relationships. Yeah. Well, so much was in the past was based on gender roles, right? And and yep. not only is marriage changing in terms of that's not how we do marriage anymore, but marriage doesn't look the same. It's not just men and women marrying each other and being in relationship. Marriage and relationship can look all kinds of ways. And so this whole notion of gender roles kind of gets thrown out the window, which I think is a good thing. But I also think that there's natural polarity in a relationship, no matter what your gender or sexual orientation is. And sometimes assumptions can be made of like, well, if I'm holding the more feminine pole, then I'm going to be more in the child rearing and the housework. But if I also have a career, then it's just more on my plate. And I think a lot of women who hold that pole in the relationship get resentful and want the man to do more so that it's fair. So how do we kind of balance out natural inclinations, like, again, women tend to be a little more natural at certain things and men tend to be normal. How do we kind of balance that without making assumptions of, okay, well, because you hold this pole in the relationship and I hold this pole in the relationship, these are going to be our duties. Does that question make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think, you know, one of the key things we can do to address that problem it almost it goes back to a guest you had on recently, Gay Hendricks, one of my favorite mm-hmm. icons in the, this field. In a way, you could look at all of his work as saying there's a shift we can make from unconscious to conscious. We can do that as individuals, but we can also do that in a relationship where we shift from having everything sort of play out unconsciously mm-hmm. to bringing some more intentional focus and consciousness to the way we arrange our lives. And and so, you know, we talk about that as what's the structure of the life that you've created together. And I think, you know, one of the things that happened in this transition from the 1950s model of marriage to today's model is that in the 1950s model, the 80-20 model, it was really clear to everyone in the system who did what you know, roles and responsibilities and priorities and all those things were actually very clear, albeit totally unjust. So now we fast forward to today's model and, you know, it's a huge leap forward. And I think that's undeniable. But the one thing that we found when we interviewed couples is that along with this sort of freedom where both people in the relationship can be a rock star or a path-breaking scientist or, you know, create a company, what we what we've lost is some sort of awareness or consciousness around how are we structuring this together? And instead, everything can kind of happen by accident. So roles often happen by accident. What we say yes to our priorities happen by accident. Our boundaries, what we say no to can happen by accident. So really, I think the the solution is to become more aware and conscious of the structures that we're creating together and, you know, we have all sorts of tools for doing that that we can get into, but I think that's like the, the headline for how we get out of this. Well, can we get into some of those tools? I'd love to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, one of the tools that we've been alluding to is up on the structural front, really about roles. Who's doing what in a relationship? And for Kaylee and I, this was like one of the most essential shifts we made in our marriage because when we got married, and it's too bad she's not here, but she would tell you this as well. She was like a full-fledged adult. She had a job. Mm-hmm. She had a condo. And meanwhile- a condo? I was that a really makes you an adult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like I was a graduate student yeah. living in a in a graduate student dorm, you know, yeah. with roommates. And um, I didn't even know how to balance my own checkbook, right? Mm. So, so we came in to our relationship and that became the pattern. She was the over contributor. I was the under contributor. 
She mm. did everything. I did almost nothing. She resented me for doing yeah. everything. I resented her for thinking I should do more and never being happy with what I did. So, so it's a pattern that's very familiar that, you know, a lot of relationships run into and getting clear on roles was one of the most powerful things we did. And it was actually very easy. I mean, we basically just wrote down on two pieces of paper, what each of us was doing, you know, what, what were the things that we were contributing in the relationship? And we did it not from a place of like, Hey, let's make this fair, but from a place of like, Hey, let's actually think about this and try to line up these roles with what we're interested in, what we're good at, you know, maybe think about the things we, we shouldn't be doing at all or the things we could outsource. So that's just one example of something you can do that can be a total game changer. Mm hmm. When you guys sat down and talked about roles, what was the structure of that? Where did you even start? Because I think people are going, okay, I probably need to do that yeah. in my marriage. But did you just make a list of all the uh, of all the daily tasks? Like, how did you approach that? Yeah, well, we did it in a really crude way. We actually have this practice in in the book as the uh, the practice of the chapter on roles, and we sort of formalized it. But at the time, it was very crude and informal, and literally, it was just writing down on a piece of paper, I take out the trash, I do finances, I'm the one who, you know, does most of the shopping, whatever it is, right? It's, it's, it was just kind of writing down wh what were the things we shared, what were the things that we did as individuals, and then it also turned out that there were a lot of things that we didn't really have any clarity at all around who was managing or responsible for that, and that was actually where we got in the most fights we found was, you know, the things where it was like, nobody controls that thing. Nobody's watching that ball. Those were uh, areas where a lot of drama often mm. came. Mm. Mm. And how'd you deal with that? Yeah. So basically, you know, the solution was to just really think about, okay, how does it make sense to divide all this up? And what's the structure that's going to work best for us? Because every couple has their own unique structure. You know, some might be dividing these roles totally evenly. In some cases, it may be that one person is staying home and spending more time with the kids and and they do more domestic roles and the other person does more work outside of the house. Right. So it, so there's no like, you know, universal formula for this. But mm -hmm. I think the the key question is shifting from what's best for me, which I think is the habitual question we ask in marriage when it comes to these sorts of conversations, mm -hmm. to the question, what's best for us? Mm -hmm. How can we create a set of roles that works best for both of us and, and so that we can really be a team together instead of two individuals kind of involved in this power struggle? Yeah. Well, I think it's Gay Hendricks who talks about the three stages of relationship, which is the infatuation, attraction phase, then the power struggle, which is some people's whole entire relationship. And yeah. then and then love, like real, true love and yeah. connection. And I think we stay stuck in the power struggle. And this is where a lot of it comes from. Because I, I notice in my marriage, you know, it's like, ugh, I've made the bed every day. Ugh, I have to, I do put the dish, dishes in the <laughs> dishwasher. Ugh, I have to handle the repairman just because I'm the woman. Like I yeah. work too, you know, <laughs> like all that. Yeah definitely comes up and it can lead to a lot of resentment. But what I hear you saying, and I'm sure in the book you give processes for this, when there's clear agreements that we both write down, that we both sign, that we both are clear about, then a lot of conflict can be avoided and a lot of resentment doesn't have to be built. Yeah. I mean, so it is, I think, on the one hand about agreements and structure, but there's also this piece around the mindset that you have in mm. all of married life, you know, when you're making these agreements, but also when you're doing the dishes and that's really important too. And that's that shift from that 50, 50 mindset of fairness right. to what we call the 80, 80 mindset of radical generosity. And one way to think of it is I know, uh, you recently had Byron Katie on, who's another one of my favorite, mm -hmm. uh, teachers. And she has this great quote that the world is a mirror image of our mind. And I think nowhere is this more true than in our relationships, where if your mindset is all about 
trying to make everything fair Mm -hmm. and feeling resentment, your partner will become your mirror of that mindset. You will fight about fairness constantly. Your partner will resent you. You will resent your partner. Like it's like this perfect dance. Whereas, you know, this is kind of the way that mindset shift to radical generosity ends up working in real time if you can make that shift. And so all of a sudden you're still doing the dishes, but instead of doing it from that place of resentment, you're doing it as a gift to the relationship. Your partner will start to mirror that back. Like yep. it's, it's almost contagious and can create this upward spiral in the relationship. Yep. Oh, I see it all the time in my marriage. You know, when <laughs> I'm, and usually I'm getting resentful when my own self-care is not where it needs to be. You know, I'm not, my own boundaries on my own time isn't where it needs to be. You know, I'm not being fair to myself. And so of course I'm going to project that on my husband and be like, you're not helping around the house as much without even considering that he's not sitting and watching, he's not playing video games all day, you know, like he's not just doing nothing. It's just, I'm, I, I'm going to suffer when I pay attention to the things he's not doing versus the things he is doing. And I think that's where we get in a lot of trouble in marriage. And when you talk about radical generosity, I think that applies not only to what we give, but how we choose to see our partner. Like, can I be generous in how I choose to see him and view him? Can I really look for all the things he's doing amazingly well? All the things that do fill up his day that may not be helping around the house, but are contributing to the marriage in other ways. Can I be generous with how I see him? And that's going to make me more generous in how I show up. And you're right. It totally gets mirrored back because when your partner feels that, it inspires them to do the same versus being in that power struggle place, which is just no way to be in a relationship. It's exhausting. Yeah. Well, I love that you brought that up because we like to say that radical generosity is really about what you do. So acts of contribution, what you see appreciation of what you say, Mm. which is about revealing. But just that piece about seeing, I think, is so important because we tend to have this default habit of the mind where we see the negative. You know, neuroscientists call this the negativity bias of the brain. It's like this hardwired instinct. And the way it shows up in relationships is that we tend to see all of the things that our partner is doing wrong, all the ways they fell short, or drop the ball. And as you say, if we can just shift the glasses and start to see all the things that they're doing right and the ways in which they're contributing and and we catch them and we say, hey, you know, a specific appreciation, thank you for being the one yesterday morning who made the coffee or whatever it might be, all of a sudden we're we're creating that upward spiral of generosity Instead of the opposite, which is this kind of downward spiral of criticism and shame. Right, 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 which only just creates distance in the relationship. How do you see that this applying um, this principle? And, and well, actually, let me ask you this question first. Why did you choose the number 80 and not 100 or not 95 or not 77? Why 80? <laughs> yeah, totally fair question. Um, the reason for that is you know, when we thought about the goal here, it's clearly to transcend this 50-50 model where we're locked in this power struggle. Mm -hmm. But we also found when we were interviewing couples that there's a risk in going too far with radical generosity. In other words, you know, we want to push our edge here, but it's kind of like stretching your hamstring or something. Like, you want to push your edge, but you don't want to push so far that you tear your yeah, muscle. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's a way in which that's possible with respect to radical generosity. You know, one way it showed up, there was a, a man we were interviewing who said, I gave so much to my kids and my wife and my family that I turned around and one day I realized I wasn't really living my own life. I had no real purpose. I had just kind of gotten on the bus of marriage and life, you know, and the bus took me in a place that I didn't even really want to go. Mm. So so I think like the extra 20%, you can think of it as that space that's really reserved for your preferences and your sense of purpose and your projects. I think that's really important. And if you transcend that and go too far, you know, that can become a real problem too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then it's like, 
where's where's the sovereign individual in the relationship as well. So I love that you brought that up because I think it's important to keep that 20% for for us, for surprises, for whatever it needs to be. And if we're whenever we think of a hundred percent, I think that puts a lot of pressure on us. So that makes sense yeah, why you chose 80. Exactly. I get it now. The straight A student in me though was like, why not a hundred? And another just curiosity question, because both of you, you know, you're involved in wellness, your wife's involved in leadership and facilitation. How did you become marriage experts? What made you write this book and do this research? Yeah, well, it was really driven by our own suffering, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, that we had been really struggling in our life for a decade or so to figure this out. And my wife's an executive coach and you know travels the world working with clients. I'm a founding part for, partner at Mindful. So I've been working in the mindfulness field for 10 years. And it felt like, wait a minute, if we can't figure this out, Mm-hmm. as so-called experts in the self-development field, then, you know, it must be that a lot of people are struggling with this. And so we, we went to a lot of the canonical books on marriage, and there's some amazing books that have been written on marriage. But it also felt like those books weren't addressing the specific context of our life. And in particular, this question of how can we be equals and in love? For us, that was a, a fundamental question. When we looked around at our friends, you know, and, and people we knew from college and the issues they were struggling with, it was very similar that there was this sort of tension that many couples were trying to figure out between how do I be an individual, but how am I also with this person as a team? It's kind of like the dynamic tension of of modern marriage. So so that really led us on this quest to mm-hmm. to figure it out for ourselves, but then also to do a lot of interviews and talk to experts and see if we could create a, a framework for this that would allow us to to share this with other couples. And what have you noticed is different in your marriage now? Well, I mean, I would say almost everything feels different, but um, the main thing is that there are these just constant micro adjustments and micro actions that weren't there before that I think are really the essence of what we built together. So for example, you know, just these micro actions of radically generous contribution, micro actions of appreciation every night before we go to bed, we just appreciate each other for something mm-hmm. from the day it takes like 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, also micro actions of revealing. So, you know, whereas before we might let feeling hurt or, you know, disconnected, just let that go unsaid. One of the practices that we've really been working on is to express those microscopic truths to each other. And we find that when you do that, these moments of disconnection and conflict actually turn into opportunities to get closer mm-hmm. and more connected. So there's something really paradoxical <laughs> about you, you like shift the nature of conflict from being this bad thing to this like opportunity of like, wow, okay, how can we get closer? Mm. How can we learn together? Um, which I think is a, is a game changer because otherwise it just keeps pulling you apart in the yeah. opposite direction. Yeah. Do you guys have kids? We do. Yeah. We have a nine-year-old daughter. And I would say that really in some ways having a kid was another one of the big motivations for this mm. project because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it was just the two of us, you know, we were actually able to navigate a lot of these tensions and then add a kid to that structure. <laughs> and it was like all of a sudden, you know, all these new conflicts and issues arose and we were sort of forced in a way that we weren't before to work together as a team. So having a kid we have found is it can be a very amazing thing, obviously, but can also add a lot of pressure to the system. Right. That forces change. Right, right. Well, that was that kind of leads me into my next question, which is a lot of couples, especially with a child or two or three or however many people have, feel like their marriage becomes a business relationship. It just becomes yeah. who's picking the kid up from here, who's doing this, who's doing this. It's like just juggling roles and responsibilities. So how can we do the 8080 marriage and have, you know, 
clear conversations and practice that generosity, but not feel like we're just life partners, you know, to really still feel like yeah. we're lovers and we excite each other and there's that, that there's still mystery and there's still polarity. How do we balance that out? Yeah. Well, I mean, that gets to one of the most interesting explorations we went on in this book, which was we really wanted to understand what's the connection between intimacy or sex and all of the sort of logistics of running the family business together. Right. Because in the abstract, they seem like they're totally separate. And, you know, there's this tendency we have in our culture to view sex problems as like a, a technical problem with the way you're doing sex. Right? So right. if you read Cosmo magazine, right. you get all these like crazy tips on, you know, how to be better at sex. Right. You're not using the right position or you just exactly. need this toy yeah. or whatever the it is. Cherry flavored orgasm bomb. Yeah. And then yeah. your sex then is going to be good. instantly amazing. Yeah. Um, but what we found was actually there's a really close connection between the way you sort of structure your life, the mindset you have in your life, you know, in the, all those ordinary moments in the line at Costco, sitting in the car line at school, whatever, there's a connection between how you do that and how you do sex. And I think the big connection is ironically around that word connection itself. So if you're running life in such a way that all of the stress of your life and, you know, the way you're doing roles and the mindset you're using to approach your marriage if that is leading to greater and greater levels of disconnection, then you're also gonna see that reflected in your intimacy. But if you can shift from that more unconscious way of doing your life together to something that's more intentional and more conscious, you're able to get more connected, even in those sort of throwaway moments, you know, standing in line at Walmart. And that, is also reflected in intimacy. So, so that was one of the big ideas that it took us a long time to get there, but we, we just started to realize that, wait a minute, there is a connection between logistics and sort of running this family business and intimacy. And it really revolves around, are you getting more connected through the way you're doing life or are you getting more disconnected? So and this may be hard and you may not be able to do this, but is there like, maybe from your own life or a couple you've worked with, or you can make it up like a tangible example of what this would look like in life. Cause I get it theoretically, but how yeah. do we make this tangible? Yeah. Well, so one of my favorite exercises, we have this, uh, we call it the life report card and it's really a practice that's around getting clear on your priorities. So what you do is you, you sort of, think through all the so-called classes in your life. So the classes in your life now that you're no longer in school are things like parenting and, you know, being a good volunteer at your kid's school and work and, you know, cooking dinners and, you know, going to the store, right? All these different things that we do. There's, there's, you know, hundreds of these things. These are all the subjects of life. And the purpose of this exercise is not to figure out how you can get A's and everything. That's actually the opposite of what we want you to do. The purpose is to figure out how can you get more F's and more D's in life. In the things that don't really matter to you, the things you're doing out of obligation, so that you can get, you can actually receive in your life a couple A's. Like you can get an A in being married. You can get an A in parenting or an A at work. And what we find is that for many of us, there's just so much coming at us in modern life. And we have this tendency to say yes to everything that we have this delusional view that basically we can do it all. You know, you can be like a valedictorian at life. You can get A's and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's one example of a place where for couples, if they can start to get clearer on like, hey, wait a minute, we spend an inordinate amount of time doing this thing, whatever that is, maybe it's baking cookies for your kid's class when you could just buy them from the store. You know, maybe that's where you get your D. Right, right, right. right. But, but like there's a way in which that's just one example of how, you know, you can start to get clear on what's important to the two of you. That brings with a connection. It also safeguards your life from the intrusions of others and gives you more time to be together, to go on date nights, things like that. Um, so, so, you know, there are things you can do like that with structure that just free up 
more time, more energy for connecting with each other. Mm, I love that. And do you um, believe that marriage, monogamy, committed relationships that, you know, are decades long can get better, can get hotter, can get more intimate with time? Absolutely. I mean, I, I believe that both from our own experience, but also from all the interviews we did, you know, we found that many couples hit some really rough patches in their relationship. You know, the the Gottmans at the Gottman Institute, they mm-hmm. talk about the relationship set point, which is basically a measure of how happy you are in relationship. And not surprisingly, when most relationships start, the set point's super high. Then you get married, you have kids, life gets crazy, <laughs> and it just drops. And so, yes, it's possible that it could just drop and never go up. But I think if you're able to sort of think about how you can make some of these shifts in mindset, make some of these shifts in structure, get more conscious and aware of how you're creating your life together, you can absolutely shift the location of that set point. And as you do, I think that inevitably makes marriage hotter. I mean, that's yeah. like the the natural consequence of just getting clearer on things, getting more connected, getting closer, revealing all those things you tend to withhold, you know, that that, that shows up in intimacy. Do you, Have you seen in a lot of your research that when it comes to life and all the things people have on their plate, especially if there's career and kids involved, that marriage is sort of like third? Career and kids fall one, two, and that marriage kind of is third in people's lives. Like it's where they spend the less least amount of time on it. It's the least priority. It's kind of the thing that they take for granted. Have you seen that pattern at all? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it was interesting, actually, um, when our daughter was seven, there was just this, this example of her behavior that illuminated all of this for us, where she would come home from school and she would just be this terror. She would like yell and scream and stomp. And we asked her, is this the way you act at school? She's like, no, I use up all my good behavior at school. This is the way I act here. And the reason I tell that story is we started to realize that that's what happens with marriage too. Mm -hmm. That for many people, you know, if you're at work and in meetings or working with clients or whatever it is that you do, you bring your best behavior to that. You know, even when you're hanging out with your friends, you bring pretty good behavior to that. But the closer you get within those circles of relationship and you get to the closest circle, your partner, you tend to bring your worst behavior to them, <laughs> which is so paradoxical and strange, right? But but, you know, we, we kind of know we can get away with it and we need somewhere to be a jerk. So right. why not do it at home with our partner? Um, so I think that's absolutely true. So it not only leads to, you know, kind of the bad behavior that we bring home, but also just this neglect of the fact that, hey, we actually need time together. Mm-hmm. We need to have a date night or a date hike or, you know, just to walk around the block once a day. Otherwise, we're not going to be connected and everything else in life is going to suffer. Yeah, it is true. And and my husband and I talk about this a lot because when we're both two in, two in our own careers, our own lives or whatever, we see our marriage suffer. I mean, we still love each other and are affectionate, but it just is kind of like, I don't know, it, it slips into that roommate category, mm. right? But when we really are putting the marriage first, it's not like it, it doesn't make our careers worse. It actually makes them better. And this is the mindset that I think so many of us need to start realizing is that it reminds me of Stephen Covey's like urgent and important quadrants and how Mm. much attention we give to the urgent, but maybe not important, um, versus the not urgent, but important, which he often talks about is the most important quadrant. And for a lot of people, they don't think their marriage is urgent. The career demands more urgent. Yeah. The kid demand is more urgent. But the marriage or the relationship, if you're not married, is the foundation for everything. It's the foundation for yeah. everything. You're going to be better in your career as a parent, everything. And you're going to, I believe, model 
a healthier relationship for your children if they're not put on the pedestal above your marriage. If it's like, we love you, we're here for you, but our relationship is a priority. Mm. Like you don't come before it. Of course, like, you know, if the kid's sick or whatever, you know, I'm not talking about, hey, kids, you're on your own. We just want to have this awesome marriage. But I think it's important for children to see, wow, mom and dad really prioritize themselves and, you know, meet my needs, but also teach me to meet my own needs and don't sacrifice their time for me, which I think is just, is huge. So I love any, any other tips you may have about how people, if, if like they don't see that there's a problem in their marriage, like it's in that not urgent, but important category. And they're just kind of going through the motions and think their marriage is fine, but a little more focused on career and kids and kind of just think it's a phase. Any like tough love, truth talk you want to give people (laughs) to bring that focus back to the marriage so it can be foundational for everything else. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is to make sure that you're not affected by the stigma around working on your marriage, because one of the most interesting things we found in writing a book on marriage is that we would get stories from people we worked with who would say, so one woman told us, you know, I bought your book and I got these texts from my husband who was freaking out because her husband had gone into their Amazon cart and her husband saw that there was a book on improving marriage and was like, oh my God, are we about to get a divorce or something? And I mean, in addition to that being a funny story, what we started to see is that for many couples and many individuals in general, marriage is somehow different from everything else in life, right? Like you can read a book on how to be a better leader and nobody says you're a terrible leader. You can read a book on how to be a better parent and nobody says you must be like beating your kids, right? But for some reason, when it comes to marriage and relationships, a lot of people feel that even thinking about it or working on it together is somehow an admission of weakness or, you know, you're not doing it right. So I actually think that can be such a fundamental barrier for many couples that Mm -hmm. the first step is just to say it's okay. And in fact, it's awesome to optimize your marriage. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Um, And why would you want to do that? Well, it, you know, it turns out that the health of your marriage ripples out into all areas of life. You know, it affects how happy you are as an individual. It affects how happy your kids are. It affects your extended family. It affects your friends, your community, right? There's a a way in which optimizing and working on your marriage can have this profound effect, not just on the two of you, but on on all of the people you interact with. So so that would be my main sort of uh, cosmic two by four, I guess you could say, (laughs) is just to like get over the stigma and mm-hmm. get okay with like, hey, we can actually do this better. And it's not because we're doing it wrong. Right. It's because we'll be happier, more connected, and have way better sex if we do this better. Why yeah. wouldn't we want to do that? Yeah. Nobody says that about their job or their health. Nobody says, <laughs> well, I'm going to go to the gym for a year and then just expect the effects to last for the next 50 years. You yeah. know, nobody says to their boss, hey, I'm just not going to work on my job anymore. I'm good. Like, phew. Yeah, I'm just going to put it in maintenance mode for the next 20 years until my kid goes to college, and then uh, I think we'll be good. Right, right. So so I love this. And I think as we're in such a, a, I think, a time of deconstruction and reconstruction and evolution, and so many paradigms are breaking down and so many systems are crumbling, and marriage is one of them. I think that we are redefining what marriage and relationship really looks like and what parenting looks like and what family looks like and what community looks like. But for it, it really start for those people choosing to be in partnership, have children, all those kinds of things, it starts with the marriage. And so I think a big part of it is to, you know, looking at the marriage that we grew up with, meaning our parents, looking at our assumptions about marriage and really choosing how we want to do marriage or relationship differently. Because what I'm hearing from you is, we can create what we want. We don't have to have it be like other people tell us it needs to be like or be like yeah. what we, our parents saw. Or we can really, really create the relationship and the partnership and the, the epic love that we want. Yeah. And I think that you got to the fundamental question that we all need to be asking ourselves, which is in this time of unprecedented change and uncertainty, where all these structures are being changed and overturned 
do you want the structures of your marriage to change by accident mm. and, and just sort of end up being whatever they happen to be in the midst of all right. this chaos? Or do you want to do it more consciously, bring more awareness and intention to it? I think the answer for most people should be the latter, because in the midst of all this uncertainty, if you are able to get closer and more connected, you know, it's almost like the world can crumble around us, yeah. but at least we're good. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, it's maybe it's us against the world, but at least we're connected and we're together. And, and that's a big deal, you know, in times like these. It is. I mean, it has brought me so much comfort this past year and a half, especially. Um, And even before that, when just things in my life were kind of crumbling, the world was fine, but my own life was like, wow, what's happening? And, and, you know, my relationship with my husband is, it brings me such a contentment solace. It's like a safe harbor, you know, a safe place to land. And anyone who isn't in relationship, who's longing for that, just know that's available to you. Great partnership or marriage doesn't elude anyone. You can create it. Um, starts with our relationship with ourself, right? Like you can, you can look at any of the subjects we're talking about today and look at the internal relationship between you and you, how generous are you with Mm -hmm. you? What's your inner critic like? How are you showing up for yourself? Mm -hmm. Are you just going through the motions of life, focusing on career, kids or external things and not on your own heart and your own pleasure and your own intimacy with self? So thank you so much for this conversation. It gives, um, just very reaffirming of so many things that I've experienced and believed in. So really appreciate the work that, that you and your wife are doing. And I know you have the book, The 8080 Marriage, which people can go out and, and get and learn more and um, do with or without their, their spouse. I think it'd be a great book. Do you recommend couples read it together? Yeah, if possible. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to read it together. But if that's not a possibility, then even just reading it yourself and maybe inviting your partner to do one of the exercises or practices with you or just making the shift yourself and see what happens. Yeah. I love that. And where else can people get in contact with you or follow you? Yeah. So I think the best places would be our website, 8080marriage.com. And we have a weekly newsletter that's free where we have tips and strategies every week. We also have a guide to epic date night, which we've Mm. been talking about a little bit. That's free there as well. And then we're on Instagram, 8080 marriage. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nate. You did awesome being two people today. So I appreciate that. Thank you for, um, all the, the work that you're doing in the world and for, you know, really providing tools and resources, because I think as systems collapse, we're, we're redefining so many things we need, um, new guides and new frameworks for, for marriage so that we can really evolve it just like we're evolving so many other things. So really appreciate and acknowledge your work. Well, thank you, Christine. And I also just want to appreciate you for all the work you're doing to bring these tools to couples and individuals and, and to give them insight into the, you know, uh, insights that one can gain through coaching. It's just really amazing the Mm. work that you're up to. Well, thank you. It's truly my honor. All right, everybody, go check it out. 8080 Marriage, the book, the website, the Instagram, and make your marriage more of a priority. Thanks for listening. 